I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's Halloween Countdown Show. In the red corner... One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yes, if you're of a certain age, get ready to have those terrifying memories that you've long since buried reawakened as the combination of knitwear and knives has never been so terrifying. From 1984, we're never sleeping again. It's a nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? You just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. While in the blue corner... Oh, no! Not the bees! Not the bees! No, we're not putting you through the joy of the Wicker Man remake two weeks in a row. Instead, we're heading to Chicago, where an urban legend turns out to be a little less legendy and a little more murdery than everyone thought. After a nosy grad student gets more than she bargained for from 1992, we're talking Candyman. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror, you say his name five times. In cities everywhere... Candyman. They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. So what connects these two films? And which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. 
Jesus, the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Hey, welcome back, Victoria. Thank you so much. It's good to have you here. Uh, you've uh, been off for two weeks. Yep. Gah, the fun you've missed. I haven't heard, but, <laughs> but I'm sure it was crazy times in here. More importantly, have you missed us? Of course I've missed you. Um, so it was my um, twin son's birthday and I was going to bring you some cake today, but I tasted it and it was fucking horrible. So I didn't. Did you make him? <laughs> I did. Was I made him? I'm not just slagging off Marks and Spencers. No, I made it. That's why I've been off for two weeks because I was making cakes <laughs> and they're horrible. Horrible. Right. Like a rock. It came out of the oven like a rock. So now you've offered me children's birthday cake that you're not giving me and mm. Alex offered us Tom Cruise Christmas cake that wasn't given to us. That's true. Mm. I don't like uh, this. Well, if, I'm, if I'm going to do uh, cake, you can have cake. Yeah. <laughs> Just to sort of separate out the two, the cake I receive every year from Tom Cruise is delicious. Uh, it's not a rock and it doesn't take him two weeks to make. Because I'll he's, tell you he's what. He's a genius. He made it on a motorcycle so, falling out of a plane. He's so scared of losing it. <laughs> the cake I made will still be good at Christmas because that's how hard it is. So I'll bring it to you. What were you going? for what flavor just chocolate cake sort of base level cake yeah yeah it's really hard to fuck it up (laughs) Uh, and uh, while we're here it's worth mentioning uh what christopher has dressed as uh for this show um the jumper is spot on Mm. freddy krueger that is not a fedora no, this is just a hard line around when <laughs> keep my, my the son off my bald head. Yeah, so it's, it's the closest I had in the house. It's a pork pie hat. I'm really hot though. I think, given the temperature in here, it's just an endurance test. See when how long you can last. My face is going to melt. Ooh. A bit like Freddy's. Yeah, we should ring a bell when you take it off. Not in like a stripper way, but like anyway. They anyway, I mean, not that I frequent that many strip clubs, but I don't think they have a bell. Like, ding, 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 ding. Boobs out. Another Take layer off. off. <laughs> yes. That's how it works. There's a pound. Take it off. No? No, because, I mean, the the problem with that scenario is the drinks are very expensive in strip clubs. So, so you've heard. So I've heard. Uh, they want to keep you in there a long time. And the temptation would be then, if, if it's the ringing of a bell that hurries up the performance, then people would bring their own bells, have one Diet Coke, and ding, 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 ding. Oh, that's true. I'm done. I'm out. That's true. Mm. Uh, so we are uh, doing on this week's show uh, Nightmare on Elm Street versus Candyman, or as I'm calling it, the Augmented Appendage Altercation. <laughs> Nick, I'll write that down for the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, these were films that uh, you gave us, uh, Christopher. Uh, you gave a clue last week, uh, which was Idle Hands of the Devil's Playground. You then followed that up on Twitter. At ClashPod is our Twitter handle. Join us. The lads are going out on the slash. <laughs> yeah, our American friends might not get that. I don't think they have on the lash as a phrase. Okay. Okay. But yeah, it means to drink beer until <laughs> yeah. you fall over. Yep. Especially if it's me. A lot of beer. Um, we can't read out the winner, unfortunately, because uh, timelines, uh, what we're talking about now hasn't yet come to pass. But believe me when I say, if you got the right answer, you will be heralded as a champion online on Twitter, so join us there at ClashPod. Shall we do the connections? Go for it. Go on, Vicky. What you got? Uh, let's end on a fire. Yeah. Yep. Lynched by an angry mob. Yep. Yep. And okay. the un- unintended creation of supernatural murderous men as a long-term effect of lynch mobbing. Mm. Mm. Uh, I've got ceiling blood. 
Uh, both films involve blood dripping through the ceiling from the room above, Johnny Depp in A Nightmare on Elm Street and The Babysitter at the Start of Candyman. Uh, characters who deal with the horror by smoking and drinking their way through the film. Both Nancy's mum mm-hmm. uh, loves mm-hmm. loves a drink and indeed uh, Vanessa, uh, Helen rather, the heroine in um, Candyman. She's, uh, she's often found with a beer and a fag. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, villain, the villain bursting through a mirror. Yes, happens that happens in both. In both. Yeah. Uh, interesting bedroom decorations. Both of uh, our leads sleep with a crucifix above their bed. <laughs> and I think Nancy, I noticed on her the, her wall, she's got like something a, a middle finger stuck to the wall, just like a little hand with the middle finger sticking up. Which I thought I've never seen that before. You could, I've seen them before. You can buy them, like the the whole. Filth. Yeah. Um, doctors not believing our heroes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and then sort of getting gaslit, kind of like no one really believing them, but, but the villains sort of keep pushing them. Mm-hmm. Any more? I got a couple. No. Uh, I'm saving my best till last. Uh, this isn't my best, but I'm very proud of this one. Killers that live in and get their power from other people's dreams and fears. Freddy quite literally and the Candyman figuratively when he actually says it's a blessed state to live in other people's dreams but not be. Mm. And the icing on the proverbial cake. Get ready. I'm excited about this one. The Raimi siblings. The film that Nancy is watching to stay awake in A Nightmare on Elm Street is The Evil Dead, directed by Sam Raimi, and Billy, at the star of Candyman, is played by his brother, Ted Raimi. Excellent. Very, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Very proud of that. So, any more? No, uh, maybe my concluding one, as I pick them, is both these movies have blood on their hands. Hand. Well, hands. Yeah. I mean, it works. It works. Sorry, Chris, that was yours. I'm not meant to critique that because you picked them, so that is your connection. (laughs) Right. Uh, We were getting on so well when Vicky was away. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) I didn't send you a message. I bet you two are fucking best friends now. We had a really lovely time, but there were moments on uh, the shows where we desperately needed you, Mm. where we were so far out of our depth. (laughs) And we did. I called out to you a couple of times and you weren't there to answer my calls. Oh, that's cheering. As, uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, on the, 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 the True Romance show, uh, Patricia Arquette is a well-rounded and well-written character. <laughs> <laughs> but we did read out your thoughts about her as well, so we covered all our bases. Yeah, uh, yeah and uh, uh, the, 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 the Wicker Man remake is completely without misogyny. So, uh, <laughs> so welcome to the party. Uh, right then. Uh, Chris, you gave me Nightmare on Elm Street. Vicky got Candyman. We do it chronologically. So I'm going to start with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Allow me to take you on a journey. After a group of friends, including the super resourceful Nancy, start all having the same nightmare about a fedora-wearing killer with knives for fingers, they first try and brush it off. They're just bad dreams. <laughs> Turns out they're not your everyday naked in front of your family and friends kind of bad dream, though. And if the killer murders you in your sleep, you die in the real world, too. They turn to their parents, who, after much prodding, reveal that the killer is a very bad child murderer, is there any other kind, called Fred Kruger, who they burnt to death. Not a whole lot of help, as all Nancy's friends are dead by this point, so she goes full MacGyver to catch Freddy, which she does. At which point, I look forward to discussing exactly what the ending means with you, because at this point, I don't have a fucking clue. Although, apparently, Freddy is a car. (laughs) 
for your consideration. A Nightmare on Elm Street. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. She's the only one who can stop it. If she fails... I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. No one will survive. Street. So I think of all the movies that we discuss, and I know we um and are about this section where we talk about our individual histories with this movie, this is one you have to do it for. Um, let me start with you, Christopher. What are your memories of watching A Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, as I've said, I was a real little scaredy pants when I was a kid. I didn't watch any horror, which is ironic because horror is my genre now that I love the most. But um, So I waited till I was about 15 to start watching horror films, really. And one summer, I remember... Um, watching all the Nightmare on Elm Street films in the space of about a week, and I loved them, even when they were terrible and with the you know the jokes and uh, Dopey Freddy, I was I enjoyed them. But yeah, this one was it was. I'm glad I waited that long because I think it would have messed me up if I'd watched this when I was younger. And I'm guessing that might have happened to one of two, both of you. <laughs> so at 15, you were kind of okay with it by that point. It didn't, it didn't. Oh no, I still thought it was scary, right? Um, but yeah, it wasn't. I think if I'd watched it if I was any younger, I don't think I would have survived. Victoria? Uh, I avoided it because obviously it did the rounds in the playground and it sounded really, really scary. And so I didn't watch it. And then I was babysitting. (laughs) uh, I wasn't by myself. It was me and my friend were babysitting and we put it on and we had to turn it off because I was too scared. So I was probably about 14 or 15. You were running the risk of actually becoming a horror cliche yourself. Wow. It was too much. And what I fixated on instead from that memory is the house that we were babysitting on in order to make television work, you put 50 peas in it. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Oh. I heard someone, I heard a Theroux on the radio the other day interviewing someone about a telly like that and he just couldn't believe that that was a thing. And he's like, I was like, it is a thing. I was there. Uh, and how far did you get into it before you turned it off? So I, so Tina's death um, just scared the shit out of me and scared the shit out of me again. So it wasn't much past that because it's the set pieces that are just so, so, so scary. The rest of it, I didn't find that scary. Okay. So about halfway, where would that put us? Like Tina, after Tina, Rod dies, I think. Right, yeah. Tina's death's about 11 minutes in. Yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> <Just> go halfway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, mine are, I, I did the, the, the thing that neither of you did, which is uh, age about, I don't know, nine years old. Excellent. Um, I watched uh, this movie. Uh, and not only that, I had one of the scariest nights of my childhood because I did a double bill uh, of films with my friend and it started with A Nightmare on Elm Street and it finished with the Stephen King TV movie version of It. Mm. So I watched Nightmare on Elm Street and It on the same night. Obviously, It stars Tim Curry. We complete our obligatory Tim Curry reference for this week. So I just remember, and I still think about this, what a cruel conceit this movie is because when you watch scary movies as a kid, which I did a lot, the saving grace was you went, I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and it'll all be over. The morning will come. And this is obviously, no, no, no. When you go to sleep, you die. <laughs> and I think the only thing that actually got me to sleep that first night 
was like being confused about who I should be more scared of, Pennywise or Freddy Krueger. And eventually the confusion tired me out and I got to sleep. <laughs> but this movie screwed me up a lot. Uh, I was, it was a horrible, horrible experience for, for weeks. I, I, I struggled with sleeping after watching this. Confirms I did the right thing. That's right. Yeah. Although, Self-preservation. Although I'm still chasing those scares now. Like, that, this is sort of my go-to. You know when you go, I want to watch a horror movie and I want to be scared, and it's so rare mm. that you're scared. We talked about The Host uh, recently, which is one of the few movies I've seen recently that, um, that I was like, actually, that, that's fucking scary. Yeah, and I was a little bit upset watching it uh, this week for the, the podcast. And I wasn't frightened at all when I watched it this yeah. time. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because I was, you know, concentrating my notes and thinking about what I wanted to say, or it's just worn off, or, I've you know, I've watched a lot of horror in the last 15 years a lot and I wonder if I've just completely desensitised now to, to, to some of this early stuff and I think the things that scare you as a kid are the boogeyman because you aren't able to go well that's, that's a bit silly because you do think actually that, that could be your fertile mind uh, right then here's a little bit of trivia and I say a little bit there's actually quite a lot to get through so um, let me crack on uh, this uh, was Wes Craven, a uh, legendary horror director. He'd already directed uh, The Last House on the Left at this point in the world of horror in, in 1972, and The Hills Have Eyes. And uh, he wanted to sort of uh, get a bit further in film, and he moved to New York, and he actually uh, got some uh, help from a friend of his, a guy called Sean Cunningham, who'd go on to direct Friday the 13th, who wanted uh, Wes Craven to write a scary movie. And he didn't want to at that point. He, was, uh, he wanted to be a serious filmmaker. Uh, he said, I'd got some work after Last House on the Left in the Hills of Eyes, uh, doing TV of the TV movie of the week work. I did Swamp Thing, didn't make much money. And after that, I couldn't get any work. He had no paycheck for three years. He, he says, uh, my first marriage had failed. I was smoking a lot of grass, then graduated to cocaine. Finally, I walked away from the drugs and I had this one idea for Nightmare on Elm Street. So I set off to write the script. His inspiration uh, came from a couple of places. Uh, the first one, and I did a little more digging than possibly necessary on this, and I know you're going to love this, Victoria, because it sounds like exactly the, the sort of thing that would really whet your appetite. Um, it was a series of newspaper articles in the LA Times about refugees uh, escaping war and genocide in Southeast Asia who came to America and had horrific nightmares and then died in their sleep. And it was given a name, which at the time was Asian Death Syndrome. It's now known as Sudden Arrhythmic Death Syndrome, or SADS, yeah. if you're in a rush. Um, so one study uh, at the time focused on Hmong refugees from Laos, and it concluded, this is a medical journal, concluded that the individuals who died were killed by their own beliefs in the spiritual world, otherwise known as nocturnal pressing spirit attacks. Now, these Hmong refugees believe that once these nightmare visions begin, a shaman has to come and give them psychic protection from the spirits in their sleep. But because they were refugees in America scattered over 53 different cities, there wasn't enough shamans to visit all of them, and that's why they ended up dying from that these evil spirits. Really interesting. Mm. So uh, Craven said he'd read an article about this. Uh, it was In his instance, it was a family who'd escaped the killing fields in Cambodia. They were fine. And then suddenly the young son was having very disturbing nightmares. He told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him. 
So he tried to stay awake for days at a time. And when he finally fell asleep, his parents thought the crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. And by the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. And that became the central line of Nightmare on Elm Street. Flipping heck. Yeah. On a lighter note, he was also inspired by the Gary Wright 70s pop song, Dreamweaver. As a way of changing the tone, let's have a listen. I love that song. <laughs> so I was like, what on earth? Uh, but apparently the whole the whole song is based on this idea of the mind weaving dreams at night. And in fact, it's the opening bars, which I'll play you, which will get you a better understanding of at least where he came up with the tone of the soundtrack for it. This is the start of the same song. Before we get into Dreamweaver. Oh, beautiful voice. I was waiting for one of you to say, but I'll say, beautiful voice, Alex. Thank you. So, uh, that is the genesis of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Chris, you said that you might have a a little bit that you want to add uh, to this theory of uh, where the idea came up from. So, tell me. Yeah, I mean, some of it is what you've just said, but maybe put a little more succinctly. Mm. Um, He can't help himself, can he? I, I thought coming was... back into it. It's like, what's, what is this guy? Hey, I thought it was fascinating. You know, because it's a Halloween countdown special. I thought I'd really take us to as scary a place as we can on this podcast. Not good enough. Right. Well, I about, is. about six years ago, Robert England was over publicising some terrible horror film he was in, and um, I met up with him and asked him to record something for me. I, I did a feature on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street trivia. And so uh, this is him explaining where the idea of Nightmare on Elm Street came from. The point is that everyone has a bad dream once in a while. It's no biggie. (laughs) (laughs) Freddy Krueger here, a.k.a. Robert England, the man who played Freddy Krueger. And the following are ten things you probably didn't know about Nightmare on Elm Street. Child killer Freddy was inspired by an old man who was hanging around outside writer-director Wes Craven's house one night when he was a child. The man stood there staring up at the house, scared the bejesus out of young Wes, and planted the seed that would eventually become the nightmare. The story of a man who kills in his dreams was also inspired by a series of unconnected Los Angeles Times articles in the 1970s about East Asian refugees inexplicably dying during nightmares. There you go. That's from the horse's mouth. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he was brilliant, by the way. Like he, he can just go into Freddy like that, and he he seems to love doing it as well. Yeah, you meet some of these guys who are a bit over it, but he's yeah, he was a blast. It has. I nearly started crying there. <laughs> <laughs> I would, imagine me. I'm sitting there, and I've written this script. Not sure if he's even going to say yes to doing yeah. it. Yeah, and then he just goes into it, and it was um, yeah, that was quite exciting. What the other thing I'll say is that um. On one of the documentaries, Wes Craven also talks about the, the idea of nightmares. He said, he said that when he was four years old and his parents were breaking up, he had terrible nightmares and he asked his mum to protect him. 
And she said, sorry, that's the one place I can't go and protect you. Jesus, mum, just wow. say yes. You have, to, you have to go there alone. Uh, that is not what you say to four-year-olds. <laughs> no wonder he was traumatised. Look, I'll do him. anything for you. I'll make you a nice cake and <laughs> when nice you're cake. asleep, I will We've established it's not a nice cake. <laughs> he you, doesn't think that. He's what are, you dreaming, what are you dreaming about, baby? It's a horrible cake <laughs> chasing me. It's rock it's so hard. Heavy. Why, mummy? Why can't you just go to Martin's and Spencer's? like everybody else. Uh, Wes Craven then writes his script and every studio passes on it. Uh, Paramount passed on it. Uh, They said it was too much like the uh, Dennis Quaid movie Dreamscape. Have you you seen Dreamscape? I don't think so. That scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. The snake man in that is horrible. Horrible. I've not seen many films where the, 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 the effects have dated that dramatically though. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Disney were the only ones who were interested in it, but they wanted somehow to make it more preteen friendly, which I have no idea how they plan to do. Uh, but this is where Wes Craven meets a guy called Bob Shea, uh, who uh, has created New Line Cinema, a New Line Cinema we're all very familiar with. Uh, and he, uh, Craven descri- describes Bob Shea as one of the most remarkable men I've ever met. Uh, this is a 2014 interview. And uh, the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, actually, Jack Shoulder, uh, says uh, he was the first guy to d- distribute John Waters, distribute Werner Herzog. He always felt like an outsider and that drove him. He's kind of like Harvey Weinstein, except that Harvey's a gargoyle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Bob Shea basically goes, let's do this. Let's make this movie. And uh, they do. And to move into the casting uh, realm of things, uh, David Warner was initially going to be Freddy Krueger to the point that they did makeup tests, which you can see online, which are very scary. Looks different, obviously, mm. but uh, still scary. He had to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. And then Wes Craven was sort of like, he was a bit up in the air about how to replace David Warner. He wasn't sure if he wanted a big guy, small guy. They were struggling to cast Freddie. And then Robert Englund comes in uh, to do an audition. Uh, and in his own words... Um, Robert England said, I was on the cusp, or thought I was on the cusp of celebrity. Uh, the result of adore- uh, starring as an adorable curly-haired alien in the miniseries V on NBC. Uh, the only audition that I got that would fit into my schedule was Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's the reason I said yes. Uh, Wes said that when he came in, he was full of piss and vinegar, and right, that's why yeah. he got the role. <laughs> yeah, he says he was struggling to find someone with a sense of ferocity. I was seeking. Everyone was too quiet, too compassionate towards children. Then Robert Englund auditioned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does say he wasn't as tall as I'd hoped and he had baby fat on his face, but he impressed me with his willingness to go to the dark places in his mind. Robert understood Freddy. Uh, apparently he rubbed cigarette ash from his car ashtray under his eyes before he walked in, uh, which he says is an old theatre trick. Um, which gave him quite the scary appearance. Um, he also credits his agent at the time, Joe Rice, uh, with helping him uh, get the audition right. Uh, he said that he told him to act rat-like and weasel-like, adding that when we read about abusers and molesters in the newspaper, they're not big hulking men, but weasels. Go and play it like that. And it worked. Um in terms of uh, the makeup uh, that we all know and love, uh, Robert Englund says it took three and a half hours each morning. It was uncomfortable, hot, and itchy. I remember seeing some of the teenagers waltz onto the set one day, enjoying their youth and beauty. And I thought, wait a minute, I need to channel this jealousy into Freddie. 
Uh, but he also credits the films, not just Freddie. He's very nice about it. He says, look, Freddie's a huge part of it, but these films are actually absolutely incredible. They're about a strong girl surviving Freddie. She'll realise her inner strength and beat this symbol of patriarchy. Nancy in the first movie was basically Aliens Ripley for teenagers. Any uh, any other bits and pieces on Robert England? I, I can see your friends. Um, they couldn't get the look right, and the guy who designed the makeup in the end, because it's funny, this ironically became his, his nickname, but he was out eating a pepperoni pizza and saw Freddie's face basically in the pizza and brought it home and designed the burn makeup to look like the top of a pepperoni pizza. Oh. So, yeah, that's why he's called Pizza Face. Uh, he says he stole the fact that Freddie stands with his legs far apart from James Cagney, uh, a pose that signifies sheer power. And people wonder why Freddie has a strange posture with his right shoulder slouched. It was because the claw was so heavy it weighed me down. <laughs> but I like the way it looked, made me look like a cowboy drawing a gun. Um, so, yeah, uh, the other really noteworthy thing uh, about casting is this is uh, our introduction to Johnny Depp. Uh, in so much as it actually says in the titles, introducing yeah. Johnny Depp, which is kind of weird. It is weird. Yeah, it's a bit off that, isn't it? I'm, I Why is it off? Well, because you don't normally get that from a grown-up. That normally happens with little children. <laughs> They'd have an introducing credit. Yeah, well, unless you've got a brilliant agent. And then you, that's just the stipulation, isn't it? That you are a big deal or you're going to be a big deal. So. Well, he, he wasn't initially getting the role. There was more of a guy that was more of a surfer dude who Wes Craven was going to um, cast. And his daughter and one of her friends was looking through the pictures and they saw the picture of Johnny Depp and said, that's the guy. That's the guy. He's so sexy, Dad. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he says, I showed it to my 14-year-old daughter and her friend because uh, I'd met Johnny and he was in a band and he said he's interested in getting into movies. His fingers were yellow from constantly smoking unfiltered cigarettes. He was greasy and pale and sickly. Uh, but like you say, his daughter went, he's beautiful, uh, pick him. And so he went with him. Uh, Charlie Sheen was initially cast in the role uh, that Johnny Depp has, though. Uh, but he asked for too much money, or his agent did. They wanted to double uh, his rate, which about he was asking for about 3000 a week. Sheen himself says, this isn't true. He says, I didn't price myself out of it because I didn't get greedy until years later. <laughs> a surprising thing to me, like looking back at this film, on, the, on one of the makings of they talk about the fact that they got the money, then they lost the money, then they were maxing out their credit cards to make it. But how they got financing finally was because of John Saxon being in it. They needed a name and apparently John Saxon was a big enough name to get them funding. Now, John Saxon is an actor I really think about much these days. I wouldn't have thought he was the guy, but he'd been in Enter the Dragon. He, he'd done some relatively successful That's dramas. That's it! Yeah. Uh, do you know, I spent the movie going, oh, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So that's why this film got made, is, is Nancy's dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, aside from that... Uh, uh, Robert England says of Johnny Depp, he was the most polite young actor I've ever worked with. He called me Sir for the first week. Any more about the backstory to this wondrous piece of horror? All good. No? No? All right, then. Let's go through the movie. So, uh, we meet... Uh, I don't remember the start very well, uh, to be perfectly honest. I haven't seen this movie uh, since I, I was terrified as a preteen, And I certainly don't remember seeing Freddie making his glove at the start, which was nice. No. That was all new to me. Uh, and then we meet uh, Nancy, who uh, is our final girl and clearly going to be our final girl. Um, 
Do you like Nancy? Yeah, she's all right. I think she's a bit wishy-washy. What? I don't know. I think she's great. I think she livens up quite a lot of stuff that is actually dull, um, but it comes later on. So she does, she's got a lot to do and she handles that very well. I also think she's given some slightly rough dialogue and (laughs) I'm I'm not sure she's the best actress in the film and therefore I think that combination makes her not one of my favourite characters in horror. But I think the strange thing about watching the film now with different eyes is that we actually meet Tina at the beginning in Tina's dream Mm. and they set her up as the protagonist and the hero, Yeah, uh, which is really interesting. I've kind of forgotten that it's, you know, when she gets killed, it's a little bit of a surprise, really. I guess so, yeah. I forgot. I was more preoccupied with the fact that one of the few jump scares that you see in horror cinema a lot, which it does here and it does well, is a sheep. Uh, there's a sheep jump scare in, in, in Tina's dream at the start. It's like oh, yeah. <laughs> she turns around and there's a sheep like knocking shit over, going, Oy! <laughs> and she's like, Ugh! and it just sort of holds on the sheep. I'm like, all right, that's good. She's <laughs> hey, scary sheep. I like that. Well, it's a dream visual, isn't it? A, a sheep. Is it? Count, counting sheep. Counting sheep. Like. I know yeah. counting sheep, but once you've counted them, they sort of bow out. They don't take. They bow out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Uh, and then we understand uh, just how scary uh, skipping uh, is uh, in this movie. Uh, never has skipping been uh, more terrifying than when. Uh, uh, did you skip as a child, Vicky? I did. Yeah, I skipped frequently. Did you have a rhyme? Uh, we probably did. It didn't have anything to do with paedophiles. <laughs> I hope not a paedophile. He's not a paedophile. Uh, you, you were you were all clear on that. Freddie is not a paedophile. Uh, he was changed uh, initially. He was written by Wes Craven as a child molester, but there was a spate of uh, paedophile attacks in California at the time he was uh, working on the movie. And he was like, I don't want to seem like I'm piggybacking that real life story. Uh-huh. Um, Southeast Asian refugees dying in their sleep. He's happy to piggyback yep. that story. Have that. But uh, child molestation, he was like, I don't want that. So want he's, to do with that. he's never called it in the movie. Um, he's, it's alluded to, obviously. Yeah. But he's called a child murderer. And they certainly call him that when they're talking about the character, everyone involved with the film. And I wonder if it's spoken about more in the sequels as well. Well, I mean, the the terrible thing is obviously the 2010 remake where they go, he's definitely a (laughs) paedophile. But the less said about that movie, the better. Uh, So, skipping. So creepy. It I wonder creepy. who wrote that. Um, in the in the universe of the film, as in which staff member wrote it? Yeah, or or did the kids? Are the kids? Are the kids made it up? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Or maybe the parents, after they burnt him to death, go. Do you know what this needs? It needs a song. Just to light the mood. Like, where did it come from? Because they're keeping it a secret. The kids don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. We meet Tina first uh, and then we got the skipping and then uh, we sort of meet this uh, this group of friends, Rod and Tina and Nancy and uh, Glenn, who's played by Johnny Depp, who uh, dresses like he owns a boat, but I don't think he does. Uh, all chinos and sky blue shirts. Um, and we we get to know them a little bit. There's a nice little bit of character building where Johnny Depp uh, tries to convince his parents he's not at a friend's house uh, by playing a sound effects tape, which goes wrong, mm. which is kind of cute. Um and then we get into this idea uh, that has uh, populated horror movies for a very long time, especially at this period with slasher movies of if you have sex, you die. Uh, to quote almost uh, 
ad verbatim, Randy uh, in Scream, uh, obviously another Wes Craven movie. There are certain rules you must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Sex equals death. Okay, Tina has sex and uh, Glenn tries to have sex with Nancy and she says, not now, Glenn. (laughs) She says, she says, we're not here for us, which is so weird. And I'm obviously not going to be like, so he has every right to be angry. But even I was like, come on, Nancy. Like, your parents are away. Like, come on. Even you are like Even that. I. But morality sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> morality sucks. Nancy doesn't. There was a really interesting article uh, on The Atlantic about this movie, which uh, I'd suggest sort of digging out because... They talk about how normally the final girl, it's, it is about morality that's yeah. that, and her virginity. And that's what keeps her alive. She doesn't have sex and she's, because she's a moral person and yeah. you know she doesn't um, go around doing that. And that's how she, she survives. But their <laughs> argument is that actually, like, when she sort of says no to Glenn, it's like the fact, not that she doesn't want to do it for moral reasons, it's that she's more distracted with the fact that there's someone killing people. Yeah. Uh, there's this monster haunting her dreams. And so... It's the fact that she's got a survival instinct uh, based on being quite smart and intelligent and yeah. thinking, right, well, now's not the time for sex. We, we need to concentrate on other things. And not because she's like, no, get off me. We, I don't do that. Yeah, I, I read, that's, well, that was my reading of it as mm. well, to be fair. Yeah. And she is super resourceful, as we'll get on to. Um, Tina's death, uh, then. Uh, Rod uh, and Tina, oh, they're, they're going at it. Uh, audibly, anyway, you don't see anything, just in case. Uh, you wanted to know whether you saw anything, you know. Uh, but we do see a Freddy pressing through the wall. That scared me to death. Isn't that fantastic? That's more scary. That's So all the set pieces with the gore, they still scared the shit out of me. But pressing through the ceiling above a sleeping Nancy, it, it's, that scared It's me amazing death. how it looks like really good CGI now. Really good. And yeah. it was just a piece of spandex yeah. that they bought down the road. It's terrifying. It's so effective, yeah, 100% agree. I mean, largely, the practical effects in this are great. Mm. I mean, that one in particular, yeah. it's, uh, it's incredible. It really is. Um, it's all simple stuff, though, because in the next scene, he's got long arms. That was fishing poles. I mean, that does look quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of, but it's, it's also something that you would see in a dream, because some of the stuff you see in a dream is a bit crap. Yes, agreed. It's just it's just off kilter, and and the the sparks are coming from. They hooked him up to a, a car battery. <laughs> poor Great. old poor Robert England's hand. Um, but yeah, they're all. It's all simple but effective effects, and especially like in 1984 when you weren't looking for the joins in the way we are now. Yeah. The visual effects guy said um, that actual glove, uh, the famous Freddy glove, uh, was a, a a real nightmare on set because people would want to try it on. The hero glove, as it's called, the ones with the actual blades. Yeah. People would try it on. And your natural instinct when you try on a glove is to clench your fist. And the minute you clench your fist, you slice up your mm. <laughs> your forearm. <laughs> so people just kept going, cool. Ah! <laughs> uh Yeah, we get there's another prop thing where the mask comes off his face. I mean, this is... Tina is an idiot at this point because she literally does the stupid thing, whether it's a dream or not, when someone goes, Tina, outside your window, you don't go, probably check that out. <laughs> probably go investigate whatever is making yeah. that horrible sound. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go and find it. And um, and yeah, Tina's death then. So that really screwed you up, V. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's it's the um, the same feeling I have with the Exorcist spider walk, the, the unnatural... Mm. 
It isn't so much the blood and the slashing and whatever else. It's the energy and the pace that it happens. But it's, you know, her climbing up the walls and being dragged across the ceiling because that is unnatural. Mm. And it, it, obviously your human brain just goes, no, like can't cope with that. The room that they actually did that in, this revolving room, initially Wes Craven said to a special effects guy who pitched him this this idea of like her being upside down and it's the room that's uh, revolving. Um he was like, we don't have the money. And he was like, how about if we do use the same room twice for Johnny Depp's death? He was like, yeah, that'll work. So cool. it's the same room. And then we'll select a Jamiroquai in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> and then Nolan might want it for Inception a few years after that. <laughs> uh, so she's dead. Tina's dead. And then we meet Nancy in school and she falls asleep in class because she's trying to stay awake. Do you recognise the teacher, Lynn Shay? Obviously. Oh, I'm a huge Lynn Shay fan. Yeah. Robert Shay's sister. Mm. Um, and big in the Insidious movies now. Insidious movies and Kingpin, and there's something about Mary as well. Oh yeah, she's yeah. she's brilliant in both of those. But did yeah. you did you recognise what she was teaching, Alex? I didn't. She's oh teaching. my god, Alex! Come on, is these... she teaching Hamlet? I hate these tests. Well, it's the same oh! one. It's the same blooming line. Sorry, you, when you weren't here, Alex got annoyed. Oh, no, fine, sorry. Is this a private joke? Yeah. Alex got annoyed with me <laughs> shaming him for not knowing something rotten was from Hamlet. Mm. Oh, and so he had an opportunity straight after to read Hamlet, <laughs> or just to remember what we or, talked about last week. Or as it worked out, as I'm sure you really thought it would work out, you shaming me all over again. Which is, which I'm, is I'm genuinely shocked. Do I thought what? what an opportunity this to morning, redeem yourself. I was writing the connections to this, and there is a Hamlet connection just about because I was really reaching to make up for not having been here for ages because you make me feel bad. <laughs> and so there's a Hamlet thing to both of them. So there's obviously like what um, what is it to sleep, perchance to dream, what sleep dreams may come. And then there's another line in. Hamlet at some different point where he's talking about holding up a mirror to nature so I was like can I make this work and then I thought do you know what I won't be like oh hi guys I'm back anyway Hamlet <laughs> I thought that would just I would have loved it. it I would have loved it and Alex would have scratched his head yeah, I wouldn't have recognised it I'd have been like what's that crying is that from Police Academy 4 Citizens on Patrol <laughs> uh, there's a really nice button you love a good button on I a do. scene don't is you? it the hall pass it's button it's the hall yeah! pass yeah it's so good Nancy's had that horrible dream, and then Freddie disguised the girl saying, like, "Need a hall pass." And then it's fucking great. Lynn Shay at the end goes, uh, "Yeah, you should go home because you look terrified, but you will. You need will a need hall a hall pass." pass. <laughs> uh, I, I, if I'm trying to stay awake, I probably wouldn't have a, a warm bath with an inflatable cushion. No. Uh, note to self. Yeah. The, the footage of that behind the scenes, though, with the special effects designer Jim Doyle. Mm. Um, holding his breath and then putting his head between her legs. Jesus Christ. Is incredible with her just kind of barking in where to go, where not to go. Well, no shit. <laughs> Mind <laughs> my vagina with those knives, please. Well, apparently he was using that hero glove as well. Are you oh. fucking kidding me? Because <laughs> there was a one that was rubber, but they were using the They, actual... they were using the blade one. because I guess you're so close <laughs> and you, could, you couldn't... You couldn't uh... This is the thing. I, I got up to that point, but it ruined baths for me for a long time. <laughs> ruined a bath wank for a very many years. <laughs> I'm allowed to say it, it's fine. No, only men, only boys are allowed to talk about that stuff. <laughs> I, thought... um, I don't know how to react. <laughs> Look at you, you're such a baby. Just a sort of a bath wank, a bank. Didn't even, didn't even do it. Didn't even do it as a joke though. Just, just, just ruined a bath wank. Ruined a bath wank. Not like ruined my bath wanks. I'm not grandstanding. No, I'm no, you're not. stating a fact. No, yeah, that's fine. Uh, it, it weirdly it did the same for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're just joining in now. <laughs> no, but uh, the, you remember I was telling you, uh, and don't roll your eyes at me, Chris, 
Remember I was telling you about how I got scared of uh, bubbles in the bath yes. uh, because of sharks. All right, you do it then, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a card. No, but this is where it came from. The idea of not being able to see the bottom of the bath yeah. and it opening up into this big pit of death. Yes. This is where it came from. <laughs> I just I replaced Freddy Krueger with sharks, but it's the same thing. <laughs> it is the same thing. Sorry. Sorry, Alex. All right. Should we take a break? Good to have you back. Yeah, I think we should, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going for a little walk. Back in a sec. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Join me, Melissa Reddy, and listen to my brand new podcast, Between the Lines. I'll be speaking to the biggest names in football about the captivating, behind-the-scenes stories fans want to hear. From major talking points to untold anecdotes, you'll hear from some of football's leading stars as well as those working in the shadows. In our first episode, I spoke to former Spurs manager Maurizio Pochettino about that Amazon documentary. We feel responsible because it was uh, very difficult to say yes to open the door to Amazon. Only we watched with Jesus the 25 minutes first because it was until we uh, left the club. And on our latest episode, I investigate how prevalent and damaging social media abuse is in football. And I was like taking all this negativity onto myself and I did. I kind of lost myself and my personality because I knew everything that was going on around it. And it's not until I actually got to a stage where I thought, I can't take this anymore. It, it is becoming too much for me that I spoke out about it. 
Craving football insight? Well, look no further. Listen to Between the Lines with me, Melissa Reddy, via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. This was a Stakhanov production. All right, Phil, loads better now. Just calm down outside. Everything's good. Uh, do you know what? Um, uh, we're into uh, Nancy becoming really, really good and proactive. She decides to go into her dream and sort of find out a little bit more about Freddie. So she positions Glenn uh, to uh, stand next to her, sleep, uh, well, stay awake next to her as a sentry as she goes to investigate this Freddie character. Um, and she goes off to see uh, Rod. Uh, I, I think she's seen Rod at this point. Um, she sort of likes Rod, but Rod is such a dick. Like he's well, he such pu- a dick. He pulls that knife really quickly he, on he Glenn early in the film. Flick knife to sleep over. Rod, can you fuck <laughs> off home, please? I, I, I mean, I was really annoyed with that when I was watching it this time, but then I realised it's, it's so they're setting him up. So he seemed like he would be a suspect in a murder. He seems pretty he soon very after. much does seem yeah. like the suspect in a murder. <laughs> just she, no like sense. Nancy tries to help. Him. He's like, "What did you just say to me?" And like tries <laughs> to kill her. Yeah, it is quite. I mean, it's not to 60 in seconds. I mean, he does sort of go, hey, don't talk to... I've got a fucking knife! <laughs> he doesn't mess about. Um, uh, J. Sue Garcia, who plays him, uh, the scene where Nancy visits him in, in jail, he, he talks about... He's talked about this. Uh, he, he said, I was 19 and my life was horrible. I'd finished being homeless and I had a feeling of emptiness, so I'd do drugs. On the set of Nightmare, I snorted heroin in the bathroom. I've never talked about this, but I was high in the scene when I was talking uh, to Heather, who plays Nancy, through the bars in the jail cell. Wow. That's his best scene. That's really that's really dark. He's good in that. <laughs> so, funnily enough, you're not the only person who thinks that. Uh, uh, Heather Lagenkamp, who plays uh, Nancy, uh, said, on the day we shot that scene in the jail, his eyes were watery and they weren't focused. I thought... Wow! Yeah, he's giving the best performance of his life. Well, that's upsetting. Um, so uh, Freddie turns up, and we get another great moment, which again relates to uh, the dreams. Because uh, Glenn, like a, a bastard, falls asleep, uh, and Nancy's sort of running away from Freddie and runs up the stairs, and the stairs. <gasps> yeah, I remember that bit as well. And then I'm really frightened of a deep shag pal carpet. Because it could turn to fall. There's some... Ruins and ruins of carpet wank. <laughs> there's, there's some debate. Uh, Bob Shea directed that actual sequence and there's some debate over what they used, but they came to the conclusion that it was probably oatmeal, oatmeal stairs uh, that she was stepping in. That's horrible. It's mushroom soup. They, they've all disagreed yeah. on it. None of them could actually remember. I was going down it. my stairs the other day and I stood on a slug because we've been clearing out the garden, just a little bit of detail, and it exploded under my foot. How awful is that? Is that not the worst thing you've ever <laughs> heard in your bad. life? That's yeah. Bad. I mean, talk us through the sensation. I it was uh, like a like a blister, like <laughs> standing on a blister. Okay, gross. You've yeah. also just got had Freddie walking through the prison bars, which was Cra- Wes Craven says I did that before Terminator Two. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Got there yeah. first. Oh, yeah. uh, so at this point, um, we've met her her, her dad as well. Uh, who is uh, the chief of police in town. Uh, You can tell he's a good policeman because uh, when they go to see Rod, uh, because she believes he's in danger and he's going to hang himself or Freddie's going to hang him, uh, she walks in and she can't believe her dad's there. And his reasoning for being there, he goes, there's an unsolved murder. And I don't like unsolved murders. No, no, he's one of those policemen. (laughs) Solved murders are great. Huge fan of a solved murder, uh, but this this unsolved thing really gets to me. And um, 
uh, Rod, uh, as it turns out, dies, and then we get the the most inappropriate vicar in the world. I thought that. <laughs> He's, he's like, uh, ashes to ashes, live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah. Is that, no one, they don't say that at funerals. Well, they don't say, but especially because they go, did he, he carry a knife? Yeah. I, got, I got something for that. In fact, the Bible has something for I that. I think it's a pretty yeah, much a fine. standard text. Like, I was really surprised. Also, Nancy's wearing a very bright blue dress yeah. to a funeral. Oh, I thought that was okay. I was all right with that. Like, you don't have to wear black, but you do have to respect the person that's passed and being like, well, live by the sword, die by the sword, yeah. is a bit harsh. Yeah, he asked for it. What? He's asking for it. Beg your pardon. He's like that's 17. My, that's my son in there. That's my son in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live by the sword, die by the sword. Yeah. Maybe a rebel. On. See where it gets you. Yeah. Um, and then we get the, the sleep doctor, because uh, uh, the dreams, ugh, they're, they're terrible for old Nancy. So uh, her mum, loves a drink, decides to <laughs> go uh, to take her to a sleep doctor. Yeah. Uh, who is played by Charles Fleischer, who uh, also voiced Roger Rabbit, which uh, I found out for the first time reading about this, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, he's not much of a doctor because... Uh, God, it's so boring, isn't it? He's like, look at this screen and then the mm-hmm. thing will happen. Yeah. I was like, 20 minutes of this. Yeah, so like- bad bad numbers, uh, anything... <laughs> wait, I've got this. Bad numbers are anything up to f- five. Five. Let's say five. Nancy's mum, five. So if it goes above <laughs> five on the screen... It's so boring. It's bad. It's clearly got to be... If this light goes off, it's bad. And then that's it. Have I ever told you I'm, my mum once threatened to send me to a sleep clinic? Why? So, um, because of my dreams. What so were they? they were... So uh, how... I'm, let me think this through. Let me just my brain catch up with my mouth. Right, okay. So this is a first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know we could press that button. Yeah, I don't normally like this, like silence, and so I don't. Um, so this is another reason I avoided this film because it was about dreams. And when I was younger, when I was younger, anyway, I had eczema. And if I got very emotional, if I got very stressed or very excited or all, all your usual basic emotions, I would get a rash like on my face or, the, or just anywhere. But it was really vivid and really sore. And then it would just go away. And that's fine. That's not the end of the world. But then it started happening when I was asleep. So the dreams I were having were too intense. So that I would wake up and I just I did, it was really scary for my parents because I would wake up and I would just have these like massive marks on me and I was fine and I, but I would remember the dream but I was only little and so my mum was like we can't you know there must be something we can do to like tone it down a bit when you're asleep so maybe we'll think about sending you to a sleep clinic and then nothing she sent me to yoga instead actually which is quite nice uh, and then I just got a bit older and it stopped I think so yeah I have, and then there's nothing more boring than other people's dreams obviously but I have very very vivid dreams it's nice to put that to the test though <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. That's a story about dreams, and that's boring. I understand. That's why you don't know this fact about me, and I would have told you sooner, but it hasn't come up. Or tell it to us in the pub rather than on the. <laughs> Sorry, pub. I'm just a bit out of practice. <laughs> my biggest, my nightmare that I had, I read when the wind blows when I was a Ooh. kid. You know the Raymond Briggs thing, and I, yeah. be, I became absolutely obsessed with the idea of a nuclear bomb going off yeah. and just like and, and being wiped out, and sort of seeing mushroom clouds mm. on the horizon. Yeah, horrendous. Mm. Um, now, as a doctor, you'd sort of expect him, uh, the sleep doctor, to just know a bit about his subject or at least have a stock answer. Mm-hmm. And so when Nancy's mum, quite rightly, goes, so what are dreams? He goes, mysteries, <laughs> cool. And then he goes, incredible body 
Hocus Pocus. Then he sort of comes clean after wasting a time, goes, we don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, don't know. I should have just, just said, we've no idea. Uh, but these numbers represent something. Yeah. So <laughs> let's look at them. Uh, it's really cool, though, where she brings his hat back. Love yeah. that. Love the fact that he brings the hat back. And then we get a little bit uh, about another aspect. Wes Craven says he was influenced by um, Eastern mysticism, uh, partly in terms of making this movie. And we do get uh, a little bit of a monologue from Johnny Depp on a bridge going, the Balinese way of dreaming uh, is a, a dream where you control your actions. Have you ever had a dream where you actually are in control? It is the most amazing yeah, thing. It's like being in virtual reality. Yeah. Because you are sort of, you're aware it's a dream and you're walking around and you're doing shit and you're going, I can do this because mm-hmm. I'm in a dream. It's brilliant. But it's only happened to me, I've like maybe, it's definitely happened once, it might have happened twice and that's in my whole life. Mm. Yeah, about the, about the same for me. But I distinctly remember going, that was absolutely amazing. It was perfect. Mm. You're looking at me like you've never had that, Chris. I've had the night terrors where you're paralysed. Yeah, me too. That's, yeah, that's happened to me. That tends to happen to me when I'm like, overtired, come back from a festival or something and my yeah. brain's not quite right. And it, it's often tied in with my recurring nightmare, which is a snake in the corner of the room. And if I know if I look at it, it's going to attack me. And so I'm trying not to look at it. And then eventually I look at it and it comes at me and I wake up. <gasps> it's a succubus. Um, and I think, I think maybe some of the imagery from that has come from one of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street films as well. Yeah. When, when Freddy's a snake. Anyway, I wish I'd not thought about it. I'm scared. Does Johnny Depp, uh, just to, let's just sort of turn right from here. Um, Nancy is like tooling up and learning how to protect herself. Mm. And she's got this leaflet about how to make your own personal protection devices. It's a book called mm. Booby Traps and Improvised Anti-Personnel <laughs> Devices. Why? So, but per, isn't it personal, not personnel? Like, I, right. that really threw me. Because isn't personnel like a group of people? Do you see what I'm saying? I would have read that as... Per- and this is boring. Don't worry yeah, about I'm, it. It's booby traps. It's booby, booby traps. It's, booby traps it's a booby trap book. But then Johnny Depp goes, oh, personnel. It's like, Johnny Depp, you fucking idiot. It's personal. And But now you've just said it. I've and I don't personnel. think... personnel. So are you an idiot or am I wrong? Anti-people. Anti-people. Anti-personnel devices. Classically, they are called anti-personnel devices. Are they really? Yeah. yeah. I don't believe you, but I don't believe you. I've, I've written it down. So. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything to me. Okay. Um, Okay, well, Alex it's the, sa- it. it's the same yeah. book that Kevin, Kevin McAllister read, isn't it? Oh, really? Mm. I don't know. I'm making that up. Yeah. Okay, well, I believe that. He's home alone yeah. his house. Shall we go back to Bathwanks? <laughs> Great. Uh, so, um, at this point, we finally find out who the bloody hell Fred Krueger is after Nancy has had enough of her mother just, like, brushing her off. And it is... To, to, possibly, I'm not going to say it's my favourite scene because we haven't got to that bit. It is one of my favourite scenes in the movie where Nancy comes in and goes, Mother! <laughs> and she just appears, like, literally she sort of stumbles into shot in her dressing gown with the vodka tucked under her arm like yeah. a baby and like lights a cigarette and goes, Hello. <laughs> 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 Hello. And then she's like, I want to know what's going on. She's like, Come to the basement. <laughs> I'll tell you. But I like this. In in this sort of 20-minute period, although I don't like some of the melodrama between those two characters, it's interesting watching Nancy become the mum and the mum become the child. Yes. To the point that before Nancy takes on Fred Krueger, she literally tucks her mum up in bed. Yeah. The, the parents have, have let them, the, the teenagers down. And it's time, as you said, Nancy's the smart one. This is why she survived. It's up for her to step up mm-hmm. and pay for the, the, the sins of the parents. So I do like the way their roles reverse in, in these scenes. Yeah. Um, I do like uh, Johnny Depp's parents in this as well. Uh, although he, his dad seems, Johnny Depp seems like quite a, 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 a 
sort of like he comes from a white collar family, but mm-hmm. his dad seems really blue collar. Like there's sort of a strange matchup there, which I never quite understood. But um, he's uh, about to die, uh, Glenn. Uh, uh, Another bit of a, a script issue I have here is that you do not tell your mum when she walks into the bedroom and you've got your TV on your lap that you're about to watch Miss Nude America. <laughs> you go, watching a documentary about seals. Um, oh, I thought it was quite funny. But then he, uh, Wes calls this the Romeo and Juliet moment in the film where Nancy's phoned up Glenn to save his life mm. and Glenn's parents don't pass the message on. <gasps> So they're sort of star-crossed doves. But just, uh, you were talking about the mum explaining who Fred Krueger was. Mm. Um, why has she kept Fred Krueger's knives? That's so bad. Why has she kept his glove? Yeah. Serial killers um, keep a trophy from from these scenes of these crimes. But don't kill, take this this child killer's weapon and keep it. And presume if you want to evade justice for your vigilante activities, you mm. just, you don't bring, take any evidence just I, that makes no sense to me at all. I wonder how she got it as well. I can't imagine sort of after they've burnt his, uh, she went back in, burnt him down. She's gone back in, and were there other people there just checking he was dead? And she was like, "Dibs on the glove." <laughs> Does anyone else want it? Because I'm, I want Everyone it. Was like, "Fuck no, I don't want that." He's been killing children <laughs> yeah. with it. Still, his hand is still in it. You're disgusting. <laughs> but uh, she don't. Yeah, that is quite weird that she keeps the glove, yeah. um, which then sort of doesn't really come into play ever again. Like because Nancy goes back for it and it's <laughs> vanished at that point. Yeah, well, I, 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 to be honest, I thought, oh, this is going to come back. This is how she's going to kill Freddy Krueger with his own. A weapon, but yeah. no, we've got a much no. more underwhelming <laughs> finale than that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so Johnny Depp's busy watching Miss Nude America, uh, but he's listening to records at the same time. And his mum goes, "How are you going to? How are you going to hear what she's going to say?" And he goes, "Who cares what she says?" Um, and the fact that he's watching Miss Nude America it does kind of tie into this morality thing as well. He's doing something a little bit naughty, and so his death is imminent. Um, Another unintentionally hilarious moment is where Nancy's mum goes, right, now Now you've got to get some sleep. Get some sleep. And so she takes all... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. She takes all the coffee cups and all, all her pro plus out of the room and she leaves and she closes the door. And then out of nowhere, oh <laughs> Nancy produces an entire coffee percolator. A whole pot of coffee. <laughs> and the machine that it presumably, goes in. Yeah, that she's got to have had plugged in. <laughs> It's it's so comedy. It's well, ridiculous, and that but that's completely inspired by the these Asian East Asian stories that right. inspired Wes Craven. That the kid who whose story properly inspired this, they found a, a full coffee thing in his cupboard oh, that he had plugged so in, and it was hidden in the wardrobe or the cupboard. Jeez, oh, that's yeah. really sad. So it's actually some it's out of tragedy. So maybe maybe don't laugh so much. Well, yeah, no, I understand. I just think it could have been directed a little less like a Zucker Brothers moment, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like a scene from Airplane. <laughs> You've taken my coffee. Well, lucky I've got another <laughs> whole pot of coffee. <laughs> uh, uh, we're starting to sort of go into like uh, an interesting area now where Freddie seems to be able to interact with the real world. First, we get phone mouth. Yes, um, phone uh, tongue. Yeah, she gives her a little lick. Um, and then we get into a Glenn's death, which I'm embarrassed to say. And I, I've, I've known it for a while, but... <laughs> For a long time, I used to think about that scene and go, I wonder how they did that. I've got no idea how they did that. That's, That's not embarrassing. That's right. And then, then I just, I, once you sort of go, they just put the bed on the ceiling and the room's upside down and then mm. they just poured the blood through it. Oh, yeah. You sort of go, it's so effective though. It's and, amazing. And Wes Craven, who said I'd simply seen The Shining recently and thought, I want to do that. Yeah. yeah. But it works. It's a, it's an incredible uh, moment. Um 
It's slightly undercut uh, when the paramedics arrive and one of the cops goes, you don't need a stretcher up there, you need a mop. I mean, it's just... <laughs> well, no, they really play on it, though, don't they? They say the coroner is puking in the bathroom. Yep. I think the dad sees one of the policemen putting a bucket on the floor to catch bits of his catch son. His son yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's played for black comedy. That, yeah, but yeah. the dad rescues it, I think, because he looks yes. as absolutely devastated as you would. Yeah. And I... he, he isn't like, oh, what's that? Like, he looks gutted. Oh, that's a bad choice of words. But anyway... He looks very upset. It's a horrible death as well. It's just, it's a, this movie for me ruined beds and baths uh, almost entirely. Both of them, uh, suddenly you sort of go, I'm in two of the safest places I Those could be. Those are two of the best things. So yeah. you lost beds and baths and you lost baths and wanks. <laughs> Bath wanks, not, not all wanks. Come on. <sighs> so then. Um... Home Alone. Uh, yeah, we get a home alone moment while well, Nancy's mum uh, is busy hiding booze in the towels. Uh, <laughs> I love her. I there. thought her life's not that much of a mess because she's got loads of towels. <laughs> Come round to my house. We've all got one towel each. That's it. Have you really only got one each? Yeah, we do. They're really good, but we've only got one each. I so. actually think that's great. I have so many towels that I never use. Really? Yeah, I've got an excess. I'm a bit of a hoarder, though. If you want to get me something for Christmas, get me nice towels because I'll never. Oh, so you want more towels? I don't want your towels. <laughs> 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 Uh, the timings are a bit off here because Nancy reckons uh, she's going to get to sleep and be back up and uh, want Glenn outside in 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, but, and then home alone's her whole house. And then literally builds traps for about 20 minutes. <laughs> Glenn turns up and goes, do you want me? She's like, no, you go have a nap uh, and then dies. <laughs> yeah. uh, that doesn't happen. But yeah, she fully home alone's it. It's great. Um, uh, and then we need to talk about the end of this film because this is the point where everything goes a bit weird. So, Freddie is dragged by Nancy into the real world. Um, so, in theory, he shouldn't still have the powers that he has in the dream world. Yep. And yet he does because he's burnt and climbs up the stairs while on fire and gets into Nancy's mum's bed. Mm. And then Nancy runs in with her dad and they find that her mum is this skeleton under the covers and then she's sucked down into this glowing vortex and uh, her dad sort of goes... Uh, well, that's that then. Didn't like her anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but we split up. He so. is so sort of like, all right, fine. Because <laughs> you have to live with me now. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and then we get the actual ending, which is uh, Nancy sort of wakes up. She basically turns her back on Freddie, uh, which is another interesting thing um, that I read in this article. Because normally, like the the uh, the final girl becomes quite uh, uh, masculinized at the end of a movie. She ends up using a rather phallic weapon mm -hmm. to off the killer. And in this, she just turns her back on him mm -hmm. and just goes, you're shit. Gives him the cold shoulder, yeah. like many women have done to me. Yes. Um, Were you dressed like that? <laughs> <laughs> because... um, but yeah, so the idea is that she no longer believes in him or, or she, she, you know, she's, he's nothing to her. Mm -hmm. And that destroys him, <clears throat> which is it's just a little bit underwhelming, isn't it? When you, when you've, when you've, you know, this so much of this film has taken place in the dream world and it's been so fantastical. Um, you just, I don't know, you're primed for something a bit more. It's very cool where he vanishes, though, where he lunges and then whew, just gone. I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. It's a bit after that that um, there's a little bit of a dispute about how this was ever going to end. Yeah. But she leaves the house and it's morning all of a sudden and her friends turn up in a car and she runs and joins them and her mum's waving her off. And then suddenly the windows of the car close, the roof comes up, it's the stripes of Freddy's jumper, which were red and green, apparently because they're the most uh, discombobulating colours that you can put together on uh, a jumper. And they're screaming... <laughs> 
It's true. <laughs> like they did a study about the two colours that if you put them together. You told me I was so angry during the Mars Attacks episode, but you said, one of you said that the reason that the Martians are red and green was because of that. It might have, but yeah, supposedly those colours next to each other are hard, harder for the eye to process than other They make me think of, of Christmas. Colours. I'm sorry, I like it as a combination. I think it's festive. Thank you. I'm, I'm pleased I wore the jumper then. You look great. No one's taken that away from you. Um, you look really nice. But, and then her mum gets obviously grabbed and ripped through, back through the door. Yeah. So the problem that people have with this, uh, it seems to stem from the idea that Wes Craven had one idea, which was not a happy ending, but a mysterious ending, where they got in the car, uh, the friends were all back, and they got in the car and they sort of drove off into the fog he wanted initially, uh, and they sort of disappeared, and it was like you were left with this sort of unknowing uh, aspect of, was it a dream? Are she still in a dream? Is this reality now? Have they come back from the dead? You just didn't know. And Bob Shea, uh, the head of New Line, was like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, we need a twist. Like, Friday the 13th is a twist. Like, we want a twist at the end. Like, you know, sequels. Uh, uh, is he going to come back? And so they put in... Uh, Bob Shea was saying to Wes Craven, I want Freddie to be driving the car. I want them to get her to get in. And then suddenly it's Freddie in the driver's seat and he drives off laughing. And Wes Craven went... I've never hated something as much as I hate that idea right now. I love that idea. Do you really? Yeah. I think it, I, I think seeing Freddie sitting down driving a car would be like the Velociraptor in Jurassic Park yeah. 3. Yeah, Wes said he thought it was demeaning to the film and refuted Nancy's victory, which is not what he wanted. He wanted her victory to be her victory. Okay. That she has defeated the monster mm. and, and, and we don't need to set up a sequel here. Okay. Um. But also, he didn't have to shoot it before then, like it's a feminine hygiene commercial, which is what they talk about on the <laughs> on the commentary. It is a strange that tone. Do you mean tampons? Uh, they called it a feminine hygiene commercial. I just find that term <laughs> judging. That's all. Nothing wrong with it, you know. Yeah, take it up with Heather Leggenkamp. <laughs> so. <laughs> Bob Shea basically was like, I want this ending. And then, so they put this ending in where... Mm, this was the compromise, wasn't it? This was the compromise where Freddie isn't driving the car, he is the car. <laughs> <laughs> that is not at all demeaning. <laughs> and then his mum, her mum gets dragged back through uh, the door. Um, yeah. they, did, they did the drag through the door one time. And I, because it's obviously, it's awkward, you know, it looks ridiculous. I, I think he genuinely thought it, they wouldn't end up using it. I think he thought if we, if we just leave it that bad... It's not going to end up in the film, but um, he said he said he was so grateful to Bob Shea for making his dream happen of, of this film that he sort of it's did it for it. him, yeah. did it for him, and now he hates it. Yeah, and Bob Shea's dad also hated it. <laughs> Apparently, uh, it, it, when Bob Shea showed his dad it, uh, his dad went, the ending is weird, and Bob Shea told him about the awkward compromise Wes and I had made uh, over this, and uh, his dad went, it's not good, you've got to change it. And he was like, Dad, I can't. He's like, you're going to fuck up this movie. Uh, but they couldn't change it at that point. So that's what it is. I think the ending is, uh, it's a bit of an issue because it's just its just a huge question mark. <laughs> but um, we'll talk about that in the bits. Uh, the aftermath of this, uh, it was a huge hit. 1.8 million budget, uh, 57 million at the box office. Uh, there was a little bit of a dispute with Bob Shea and Wes Craven shortly afterwards because Wes Craven uh, didn't want to direct a sequel and uh, he didn't have any ongoing financial participation in the sequels, according oh, to Bob really? Shea. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, so Bob Shea says, he got mad at us, but nobody forced him to sign that contract. Oh, God, oh sure. Uh, Craven says, I received no money from the sequels and no money 
from the merchandising. Oh, no. And Freddie was kind of a big deal <laughs> after this. Uh, he said uh, that didn't come until 10 years later when Bob called me and said, you've been complaining about this and that. We'd like you to make one more Freddy film, even though we killed him off in the last sequel. So what the hell? I took the meeting. They offered me a cut of the merchandising and missing uh, sequels money retroactively. And so they did sort of make up and he did get his money in the end. Off the back, uh, Freddy became part of pop culture. I certainly remember this. Um, Eng- uh, Robert Englund says Freddy was in Johnny Carson's monologue every night. He was a guest VJ on MTV. Will Smith rapped about him. We became part of the culture. And... Yeah. Um, it became I, a kid's character. It became a kid's toy, video games, yeah. cartoons. Like It's it's bizarre. This maybe not a child molester, but he's definitely wanting to murder you. <laughs> uh, England himself says, I didn't make any good money until Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, and I eventually got some nice merchandising checks. Uh, Lagenkamp, who uh, Heather Lagenkamp plays Nancy, says, doing Nightmare didn't really help my career much because people have a stuffy mentality about horror films. I kind of feel what a porno actress feels like trying to tell everyone how great her movie was. It's an interesting way of viewing it. She does visual effects now. Does she really? Yeah, yeah. Her and her husband have got a special visual effects company doing horror effects. Uh, And uh, finally, as I mentioned already... Jackie L. Healy starred in the 2010 remake, which is rubbish, uh, but he also <laughs> did audition for the role of one of the kids in the original movie mm. and didn't get it. So, uh, yeah. Any more for any more? No. No. Great stuff. Shall we do the bits? Yes, please. Lovely. Uh, Christopher, what is your best scene? It's raining Depp. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's, it's just great. Uh, to be honest, watching it this time, the 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 Tina death is this is the most frightening and yeah. maybe the most effective. But it's just it's such a surprise to see that visual uh, with his character that I'm going for that. Big draw out. So it's when Nancy turns her back on him. Um, so I know it's silly and he sort of shimmers away and he's gone. But the old adage that if you're going to let kids watch a horror film, you've got to make them watch it all the way through is true because of that. So it's my favourite thing because I've never seen this all the way fucking through because I've been so scared of it my whole life. And then when she home alones the shit out of him, it is funny and he's no longer scary and it is ridiculous. And then she turns her back on him and he just becomes silly. Just And so I like the fact that as daft as it is, it mirrors that message of making sure that you see the resolution in order to not be scared of it. It's the same reason I didn't watch Alien until we did it because I was so fucking scared of it. I don't know if that would have helped actually watching it all the way through, but I had to turn off after the chest burster because I was just done for. Mm-hmm. Um, I so, don't know, I've not been to it. You've got an airlock? Have you got an airlock? <laughs> So you need, for the resolution of Alien to work, you need to be able to blow something out of an airlock. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's that scene for personal reasons. I don't think I think it's a bit daft, but it helped me a lot heal from the trauma of this film over the years. I think, I, I, yeah, I think, it, and it really makes a nice change from sort of a physical battle to just this this idea of just like going. It didn't. Work, I'm just telling you right now. It do, it doesn't work as a kid. I believe when not. you watch that, you don't suddenly go, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> Oh, he's dead. I'll sleep easy tonight. You go, that bit with the fucking blood coming out of the bed, which is also my best scene, Johnny Depp's demise. Uh, horrific and yet strangely beautiful. Mm. At the same time, it, it, it looks something about that amount of blood, like The Shining and The Lift Doors. It's uh, really quite something. MVW, Victoria. Freddy Krueger, obviously, um, for the grip he has on everyone's imagination and mine. 
Uh, I've been terrified of that person for many, 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 many years. And now I see it was for no reason because you can just turn your back on him <laughs> and everything's fine. Um, but yeah, it doesn't need me to say like how implanted he is into our um, dreams. So yes, it's an amazing thing to have achieved. England, England, England. No football. Um, uh, Robert England <laughs> no is, is the, the that performance that the physicality he brings to it. He said he saw it like a dance, and he kind of he managed to make himself look bigger and tougher and older, which he does just through his movements. Um, he improvised a lot of it, um, doing the weird stuff with his tongue, coming up with um, "This is God." That was a lot, his line in the next film. This is prime time, bitch, and one of the later ones, and his voice. Like, um, as one of the directors said, if if he didn't have Robert's voice, you maybe wouldn't have him open his mouth, this character. But yeah. because he does, it's so effective. So it's Freddie for me, but because of because of England's performance, mm. you know. And I love um, David, who is it you said was going to play? I love David Warner, but, mm. you know, it couldn't, it would not have been the film it is with anyone else playing this role. He said, uh, Robert England said he actually came up with a voice uh, from uh, when they were doing the makeup tests and how long they'd take. And he'd spend days and days and days in a chair and he used to get more and more angry and that's how he developed the voice and he says it still comes out when he's stuck in LA traffic he'll just be in his car and go get out of the way motherfucker everyone just starts crying <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sort of going with both of you because I didn't really know who I was going to in- attribute him to entirely it's Freddy Krueger but, you know, it's partly Robert Englund. It's partly Wes Craven for coming up with it. Jim Doyle, who built the glove, uh, which is such an iconic thing. Uh, yeah, he was the he was the horror icon of my youth. And uh, even as he got more and more ridiculous, he was still the best thing in every Freddy movie. So, yeah, it's uh, that. And uh, finally, what would you change, Christopher? I mean, this isn't my reason, but maybe... It didn't come up on the show, but get Johnny out of that crop top. Oh, you do? No, you hate a crop top, I didn't like. I didn't like that. But the, well, just, He's in bed, but Bill S. Preston wears his bloody crop top when he's walking around in the, in the cold light of day. I can deal yeah. with someone sleeping in a crop top, although I wouldn't do it myself. <laughs> but, yeah. But, no, it's these mother-daughter scenes where it tips over into melodrama, and that was kind of the style of of some of these teen movies and slasher movies of that era, but it doesn't work if it's the dialogue or those two actresses or those two characters. There's just something off about it, and I think it would be a better film if that was stronger, those scenes. Okay. Um, What would you change, Victoria? So um, they're in Nancy's bedroom, and she's going to turn her back on him, and she's certain it's going to work, and she turns her back on him, and he goes, I don't give a shit, and he murders her horribly, and then he looks straight at the camera, and he goes, nanite. Cut to black. <laughs> Aren't you just contradicting your favourite scene? Yeah, but I do. This is tragic. It's fine. She's, she's Isn't a... that better? Uh, do you know what? Based on, uh, I've got two changes. First of all is I think they should have more than one coffee percolator gag. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> the rule of three. I, I think she should bring one out and then bring another one out. <laughs> just, just they keep coming from under her bed. I, I'd like that. But actually, I'm I'm kind of with you, Vicky, because the ending doesn't do it for me. Mm. I, I think it's such um, you know, yes, you, the jump scare at the end of the first Friday the Thirteenth, the kid coming out of the water is genuinely absolutely terrifying. And so I can see what they tried to do. And maybe you're right. Maybe they thought, Vince Craven thought it would never make it in. But Nancy's mum being dragged through the door, it doesn't work as um, a jump scare because it looks silly. It looks like a dummy. Yeah. And it's not scary enough. It's it's not shot well enough to make you go, Mm. Uh, and also 
It, it doesn't really fit with what the hell is going on in the movie. This movie ends with confusion. After a movie where yeah. you really definitely, like you said, like why you like the bit where she disappears and possibly that should be the end. You just, like, although not the way you said it, because, like, I want her to win. I just think you need a victory. And I think Wes Craven initially wanted her, like you say, have a victory. And she doesn't. You end up to question mark. You're like, is that a dream? Mm. Is she still in a dream? Was the whole thing a dream? Mm-hmm. And to walk out of a movie like this with questions like that, I think is a mistake. That is the end of the bits. Shall we do a quiz? Chris, have you got a quiz? I have. I just thought of something. Oh, go I've on. Written it down. We're good. Okay, oh. where is my quiz gone? <laughs> it's always working. I've completely confused myself. It's always working, though. Okay, uh, on Thursday, we are doing the film Candyman. Candyman. So what do they call... Candy in England. Sweets. Sweets. Is that um, a point? One point to Alex. He got in first. <laughs> <laughs> the quiz has started. Are you, being qui- Are you being serious? The quiz has started. So I have, I have got some um, English foods and I want you to say what they are called in America. Okay. Where we have a different word for the same thing. That's so hard. Okay. So, what do they call uh, coriander in Cilantro. America? Cilantro. Oh, fucking hell. That was quick. Correct. What do they call a courgette in America? Zucchini. Correct. Oh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> what do they call jam in um, America? Jelly. Correct. Oh, yeah, good. What do they call jelly in America? They don't have it. Uh, wobble, they... wobble, wobble, <laughs> wobble, wobble, wobble. You kick yourself. They call it jam. Uh, they, uh, I'm getting confused. They call it jello. Oh, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Uh, what do they call aubergine in America? Aubergine. No, oh, eggplant. eggplant. Oh. Alex, wasn't it? No, that was Alex. no, no. Uh, what do they call a toffee apple? They call it a candy, candy apple. apple. I'm giving that to Vicky. Oh, oh nice. yeah. <laughs> right. What do they call? Uh, what do they call rocket? As in the rocket salad. Arugula. Arugula. Oh, that's Fuck. Vicky again. Damn it. What do they call candy floss? Taffy something. They call it. You definitely know it. Candy floss. They candy cane. Candy crush. Candy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Naming. They call it. Candy fluff. I actually don't know. No. Cotton candy. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, yeah, I should have known know that. That's stupid. I'm an idiot. And finally, we're into the last one. Alex, you need this for a draw. Mm. What do they call fish fingers? Uh, seafood sticks. Sea sticks. Fish pieces. They don't have them because they're horrible. <laughs> uh, 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 they call them fish fingers. Yeah. They call them... They, they call, call them, them filial fish co- fingers. Cod toes. <laughs> You're grinning your head off. It's so upsetting. Fish. This would better be funny. Fishies. Fish. It's quite funny. It's fish quite funny. Fish o's. Fish o's. Fish quite funny. Fish candy. Sticky, <laughs> sticky, sticky seafood monsters. <laughs> Alex has come really close so many times. The answer is fish sticks. I oh, said You said seafood sticks. Oh. <laughs> yes, sir. So that yeah, is another yeah. victory to Vicky uh, for three. Well played, Vicky. And, but well done to both of you. You got into the spirit of that. I much appreciated it. It was brilliant fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> Great then. Uh, we are done. Uh, we're going to be back on Thursday uh, when it's the turn of Candyman. And Candyman is going up against Nightmare on Elm Street. We'll find out who wins our clash this week. Uh, but looking ahead to the week after, it is your choices, Victoria, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Do you have a, a clue to whet our appetites? I do. The clue is... Learn the scary rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. 
snappy. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's by Pablo Picasso. Just don't have a go at me. <laughs> it's not kind of by Pablo. There's a bit he didn't say. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, that's the idea, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. So remind us once more. Learn the scary rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. <laughs> Got you. Uh, all right, those are, uh, that's a clue for next week. If you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter at ClashPod or you can email us, show at ClashPod.com. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to us. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts and rate and reviews as well if you can that is hugely appreciated speak to you on Thursday bye bye I might take my jumper off I think you oh, should I think you've got <laughs> <laughs>